everyone. Welcome to podcast number 15. My name is Joe McNamara and I'm joined by my fellow host, Naaman. Hello. A big thank you to our last guest, Will, who talked about sexual dysfunction and therapeutic radiographer-led research. It was absolutely amazing. And if you haven't had a chance yet, please do go and take a listen. So we are so pleased to be able to introduce our guest for this evening, Charlotte Beardmore. Hello, Charlotte. Hi, Joe. Hi, Naaman. Pleasure to be here. Really nice. Oh, well, thank you so much for accepting our request. Um, it's, it's a huge privilege for both of us to be able to have you on the podcast this evening. Um, so, Charlotte, do you want to start by telling us a little bit about yourself and, and kind of your overall career journey to date? Yeah, that would, that would be great. Um, I'm a registered radiographer and I actually qualified in diagnostic and therapeutics. So I'm one of that older breed. But prior to the degree coming in, uh, there was the opportunity to train in diagnostic. And then you could do therapeutic by just repeating uh, or just undertaking the sort of second year of, of the diploma. And you could do it either way round. So I just saw it as a great advantage. I'd really enjoyed my diagnostic training and then thought, actually, I'd love to work in radiotherapy. I didn't know about radiotherapy when I trained to be a diagnostic radiographer. So it was a great opportunity that I could use a lot of the skills from diagnostic across into radiotherapy, particularly in the planning, the simulation in those days. So, uh, yeah, so registered radiographer. I'm currently the executive director of professional policy at the Society and College of Radiographers. And I'm also really honoured at the moment to be president of the European Federation of Radiographer Societies and a member, an honorary member of the Royal College of Radiologists for the work that I did associated with radiotherapy back in um, sort of the mid 2000s. So, yeah, that's my that's that's me. I've had a really enjoyable career as a clinical radiographer involved in research as a service leader um, and also now working for the professional body you know such a privilege to be here and to be able to impact sort of strategy uh and and the development of the profession at a sort of national level so you know really really enjoy it so charlotte for anyone out there and um, who's maybe totally missed what the society college of radiographers is about can you just explain a little bit about what that is yeah so the society and college of radiographers firstly the society is the professional body and trade union for radiographers within the United Kingdom. We also do offer a, an overseas membership for radiographers worldwide to join, and we have quite a number of overseas members. So we set the professional standards of practice for the profession, and we support the profession on the trade union side in employment relations and sort of, uh, you know, pay and conditions um, within, within the profession itself. So my role is really around supporting professional practice education and research for the profession and I have a fantastic team of radiographers who work with me with my deputy Dr Rachel Harris of you um, and this team of uh, radiographers who span the sort of breadth of radiography practice and within education who support the work and we, you know we're a growing team we're a growing organization we're now nearly 60 members of staff in the Society and College of Radiographers so you mentioned the College of Radiographers and the college is the charity which supports the educational and research side of our work within the organisation. So it has a special remit for that, uh, whereas the society is the professional body. Does that help? Is that yeah, that's brilliant. Thank you. Good. Charlotte, how did you come to work at the Society and College of Radiographers? 
Ah, it's a long story. Well, <laughs> I um, I was doing when I, I mentioned earlier, I did the diploma of the College of Radiographers, and then when the degree came in, which all students uh, follow now, there was an opportunity for those who'd done the diploma to actually undertake the degree in a shortened length of time. So I thought, oh yes, I'm up for a challenge. I'll go and do that. So I did that at South Bank University. And as part of that, we had to do a research project. And my research project was on the treatment planning of sarcomas for cancer patients. And so really great piece of research that I did when I was working at the Royal Marsden. And I had the opportunity to present it at the College of Radiographers Radiotherapy Conference. So I, I did that, presented it. And then after the conference, the the, I guess it was the um, lead for the conference working party said, oh, Charlotte, would you like to come and join the conference working party? So I said, oh, yes, that sounds really exciting. Let me get involved. And so I did. Uh, and around about the same time, I guess I was a local representative for the Society of Radiographers too at the Royal Marsden for both the diagnostic and the radiotherapy department. So I'd already got engagement with the organisation. Um, from that, um, I got involved in the working party and setting up our, our radiotherapy conference, which is still going strong today. The pandemic has put a little bit of a halt to that, but I hope we have it back soon because uh, it's such a great networking opportunity for our profession, isn't it? And so, yeah, I did that. And then I felt, oh, the organisation doesn't seem to be doing enough for therapeutic radiography. And this was sort of in the, the mid 90s. And so the then president of the society said, oh, Charlotte, well, you know, why don't you come and be on council if you feel you could do offer something? So <laughs> within about three days, I was gathering my nominations from people at the Marsden. They completed my nomination form. I got the nomination in. And at that time, we had national council as well as regionally elected members. And I was really fortunate to be elected to the council. And so from that, I then, yeah, it was great. I never looked back. I really enjoyed the strategy. I really enjoyed leading, making a difference, um, having access to all sorts of work that I'd never been enabled or access, been able to access before. And then... I ended up as president of the Society of Radiographers, and from that, I enjoyed it so much that the job came up as radiotherapy officer, uh, part-time, one day a week, back in about 2004, and so I took the job, and I've, I guess I've never looked back. It's been, a, it's fantastic, every day is different, and you know, there are challenges, there are opportunities, but a fantastic opportunity to get involved in the work, and then that just sort of led to progression within the organisation, and now I oversee everything for diagnostic and therapeutic radiography so yeah really enjoyable that well it, honestly it's such an amazing career and yeah. I know that personally speaking you were influential to me not just on the dance floor at the uh, <laughs> annual conference but um I, I know that we'd had lots of conversations and you were always so approachable so I'd just graduated again I don't want you to feel old <laughs> Charlotte, I am old. <laughs> um, but I remember I graduated and we were just chatting and you were like oh it's so exciting that you're motivated and passionate about wanting to do things um but yeah absolutely I always remember the conversations that we always had and you're like yes if you want to do that do it um make that change yeah. um so Charlotte obviously your role now does have a lot of responsibility attached to it what are your biggest challenges that you face as part of your role within um, the society and college? It's a really big question, Jo. Um, yeah. Thank you for reminding me of those times on the dance floor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to those again. 
um, I guess challenge, biggest challenges. You know, I'd rather look at look at it as opportunities, Joe. Yeah. yeah. Everything a challenge can be turned into an opportunity, and I think at the moment the spotlight is on imaging and radiotherapy services in a way that we've never had that before, and so I think we have to certainly within my work, we have to capitalise on those opportunities that government put at our door with policies such as the Riches Report, the work on cancer that Cancer Research UK have done, and we've done collaboratively with the other organisations in actually looking to how we can develop and, and, and grow the workforce. Now, those aren't easy. There are no easy solutions, but no one's got the key, but we need to work together collaboratively to look at what we can do, how we can work differently to, to improve patient outcomes. So I think we've got a lot of opportunities that are open. The door is open. We need to be solutions focused. And I think by engaging with our members, the expertise of our professional officers, we can do that. We can help find those solutions. And we owe it to the patients that we're caring for. We're all patients as well, and our families will all be patients. And so our commitment is there to really try and change and transform services. And I think we need to push on that open door and say, yeah, we could say this is all too difficult. We're going to stand back from this. But actually, that's not going to help anybody. So we need to be proactive. We need to be solution focused. So I guess some of the work we're doing, uh, Joe and, and Naaman, is around the review of our education and career framework, because we need to make sure the standards are fit for our profession going forward and that we're adapting to the new technologies, new treatments that are out there, um, that we, we capitalise on the opportunities for advanced practice, uh, both, you know, all levels post-registration, enhanced, advanced consultant level, and that we really make the most of the policy that's existing out there and develop and push for education and training development and investment in that for our members of our profession. So I see lots of opportunities, but we've got to be proactive. We can, you know, we need to be, we have to react, of course, but we need to be proactive in the organisation. And some of the work we're doing, we've recently established a group looking at artificial intelligence, both in diagnostic and therapeutic imaging and radiotherapy services. And we've got a really ambitious plan for setting some priorities for the profession and work that we need to do to make sure we're working alongside and, and developing the research to underpin our professional practice. So I think there's a lot happening. There's a lot yeah. we need to engage in. We need to work with fellow AHPs. We need to work with our leaders. We need to work with radiologists, oncologists and physicists to find these solutions and importantly, with patients. And I guess, Joe and Naaman, I just wanted there to talk about the, the importance we're placing on that patient voice in our work within the organisation. Yeah. And I'm sure many listeners will be aware of our document that we published a few years ago now. I think it's almost ready for review on patient, public and practitioner partnerships. You know, we set some ambitious targets in there. We've still lots of work to do. We really, truly need to embed patient voice in every aspect of our work, both internally and externally. So I think, you know, there are a lot of challenges, but there's a huge amount of opportunity at the moment. Brilliant. Thank you. I suppose that links quite a lot with the work that Naaman and I are involved in as well as part of the charity Action Radiotherapy. Um, and I know in terms of kind of what they do, to try and actively seek for further provision within radiotherapy services. I know you were saying and mentioned about the emphasis now on diagnostic radiography and imaging. Um, do you think that, that maybe there is some lack of acknowledgement that increasing those diagnostic imaging services is going to obviously then maybe increase the amount of cancer patients coming through and that maybe there still is that lack of 
provision being placed on radiotherapy services within the UK? Mm, I think it's a really good question, Joe, because there is the focus on imaging and particularly with recovery and the COVID, um, the, the, you know, the impact of COVID on, on those pathways and patients not coming forward. But I mm. guess I'm reassured, even though it might not always be in the headlines, that cancer is a key priority within the long term plan for the government. So only, you know, on Monday, I was attending a, an HE event, you know, with, with national leaders from many of the organisations, charities, Patient Voice. And we were talking one of the workshops, one of the five workshops was on the cancer pathway. And actually that huge acknowledgement of the need for really innovation, changing practice across the pathway and recognising that actually, you know, we need to invest in that whole pathway of care and yeah. it's that wraparound care for the person and their family. So I, in answer to your question, I don't think it has gone from the radar. I, yeah. I think it is there, but diagnostics is certainly really there at the moment. And certainly as a, an organisation, you know, we are really committed to the work of, of the cancer pathway and supporting the radiographer's voice in there. As you know, we've been strong advocates and I know you're a strong supporter <laughs> of this of us all using our prote protected title, therapeutic radiographer. And we have the greatest opportunity as professionals to introduce ourselves to patients using our title to raise the awareness of our profession. Therapeutic radiography is a small niche profession, and I'm always amazed at the impact that we do have of a profession that's probably around 4,000 in number in the UK. You know, yeah. I think we, we hit hard uh, and we're having great impact. And I think a lot of that is due to the activism of our members, such as um, the work you were doing, Joe, uh, with Hazel in, in Macmillan was fantastic in raising the profile there. Also, you know, we've got a lot of opportunity now through Health Education England and the devolved nations for funding to look at how we can really promote our professions and, you know, fully articulate what we do to the yeah. public so that they understand. As I said at the beginning of my talk, I didn't know about radiotherapy. I think more people know about it now. There are more patients, sadly, with cancer, but radiotherapy is still such a beneficial treatment, isn't it, that actually more and more people do know about it. So I think we've got a lot of opportunity to really profile and to work differently for our patients. Yeah, I agree. And I think I <clears throat> I saw you at the all-parliamentary, I can never get this right because it's quite <laughs> a long term, but the all-parliamentary radiotherapy group, I'm going to call it that, um, so obviously where it was going to be face-to-face, -face, but I think due to COVID regulations, it was virtual. But even then, I mean, I saw you, there's lots of people representing sort of SOR and SCOR. Um, and yeah, it was nice to be able to get kind of the voice across, um, if that makes sense from a radiographer perspective. So I think at the minute, you do often see a lot about doctors, nurses. And as you said, we do need to shout out about our profession. We have been working throughout the pandemic, same as everybody else. Yeah. Um, so those events were just like, it was really nice to obviously see all of you there kind of representing us and hearing from what you were saying. It was, it was amazing. So. Well, that's good to hear, Naaman. But also there's nothing more powerful than someone who's working clinically to bring that voice to the table with a story. So I think it's the combination of us working together that's really important. But I think, yes, capitalising on those opportunities, um, the all-party parliamentary group on cancer, because I think, you know, MPs are looking for solutions uh, and they want to hear from us how we can make things work, how we can make things different and what are the experiences on, on, on the ground. And so I know in the working group that I was on at that meeting, the MP was putting a plea out for everybody to contact their local MPs, to talk to them, to meet with them. 
because actually they have influence. They can raise the local voice, can't they, through their constituency. So I think as an organisation, we do try to capitalise on that. And I know my colleague Spencer Goodman, the radiotherapy officer, was, was also on the call, putting strong messages forward about investment in the multi-professional workforce. Uh, my, one of my pleas there was around actually ministers not just talking about doctors and nurses, but talking mm. and recognising the wider professional groups that, are deliver, that support health care more generally. Uh, and so I think with the other AHP professions, we need to work together and we, we do work collaboratively to really raise the voice of the, the multitude of skills and talents that come beyond doctors and nurses. We need doctors and nurses, but we need a, the broad team, don't we? Yeah, and I think that links really nicely, actually, with the work that the SOR are doing around the specialist interest groups. So I know when Hazel and I had finished our Macmillan fellowships, um, we approached the society to say, actually, could we potentially have a specialist interest group to look at outreach work and promotion of our profession? And, you know, we've been really heavily supported by Michelle Tyler and the rest of the team to essentially bring that to the table, which is just going live now. Um, and that's a real opportunity again, along with lots of other specialist interest groups to hopefully get active people who are passionate and motivated to want to get involved and also network you know I think that's definitely a theme that Naaman and I have found going through the podcast about how actually getting to have conversations with like-minded people and get to call upon people when you kind of need information or data um, I certainly know that you know with the work we do with action radiotherapy and as part of the HEI groups and things like that we always have whatsapp groups or social media pages to basically have those conversations to help really make sure our voice is heard whenever we're in a forum where we maybe need to have that at our fingertips would, would you say that that's something that you see a lot of within the SOR? I think we're seeing real growth in it Joe. I think developing communities of practice which I guess is, is what you're sort of describing our special interest groups is so important in supporting the development of practice and I think social media and learning from the pandemic has enabled more of this and certainly mm -hmm. seeing a growth in our specialist interest groups across a huge range of diverse topics. But that's fantastic for us because actually we can go to these uh, special interest groups as a professional body and say, well, actually, you know, this consultation has just come in on A, B and C. What would your perspectives be on this? So we can seek that expert advice. We can come out to you. And, and the society is nothing without its members. So whilst, you know, we're a staff of 60 at the headquarters, it is about all of our members working collectively. And we know that some will be more active than others, but having opportunity to engage and collaborate in different ways, I think, is really important. And so the work, for example, you're doing on outreach, hugely important in gathering and gaining that momentum with the support of, as you've mentioned, Michelle Tyler, our uh, careers officer, is going to really enable us to push forward even more than we ever could if we were trying to do it uh, you know, on our own within the team. But bringing the expertise of what will work at the ground level and developing it is, is, is really important. So, yes, we also have advisory groups in the um, Society of Radiographers, which across about 10 different areas, and we rotate the membership of those groups sort of every three years. Uh, and they really also provide, you know, profession specific advice on specific topics in a really, really valuable way. And we have uh, members of the team, professional officers who support each of those groups. 
but uh, you know as i said at the beginning getting engaged in any way you can is so important and i think it's empowering isn't it and it gives confidence often people think well i couldn't do that you know i could never do that but if someone asked you and said actually naaman could you come and do this for me you'd probably go oh oh yes i i will do that you know so i've seen that in my career that seeing members at conferences and saying gosh that was such a fantastic talk could you write something up for synergy news you know and, and they really respond and i think it's those little steps that help us all to develop as professionals i think if that president at the time hadn't said to me charlotte why don't you think about joining council you know i probably wouldn't be here today i don't know where my career had gone but it's it's it's, it's seeing those opportunities isn't it and grasping them and, and having a bit of confidence in yourself someone's asked me they believe i can do this it might be hard and we don't learn do we unless we're challenged anyway so i think you know taking those opportunities is hugely important i think there are so many more opportunities today as well social media enables that join in <laughs> yeah it's really nice and i suppose you've got things like medrad journal club as well which obviously brings well all the professions in really um, really good chats over Twitter, and I've really enjoyed them this whole throughout the year so far. Mm. It's like another community in itself, isn't it? Because it's building research partners as well, yes, and um, collaborations, which I think you don't always get, and it can be between diagnostic and therapeutic. Yeah. That's probably my experience. So when I worked with Theo, um, he's a diagnostic radiographer, but yeah. he said, "Well, do you want to add a therapeutic radiographer element to this COVID paper?" Of course I do. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, but that that's how it works, as you said. So if there's a challenge, just take it as an opportunity. And it's, it's been brilliant. I guess one of the other groups that I've really seen energy within is the student forum uh, within the Society of Radiographers and getting that engagement through Nicola Jameson, the officer there. You know, it's been fantastic. And seeing the confidence of students on Twitter as well. You'll both know that because I know you're very active on Twitter. And, I, you know, I follow a lot of students and I learn a lot from students and what they post and they talk about their what they've experienced in their day, what they've learnt, you know, and I think for them having the community will really enable them to grow and develop the profession as well. So we want to get those ripples out, don't we, across the whole profession. Exactly. I suppose very quickly, just to touch on the special interest groups with both of you, um, how do people get involved with them if they want to? I think, well, the advisory, should I start with the advisory groups? Is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So the advisory groups are formal groups of the organisation and we usually advertise once a year in uh, Synergy News for members of the advisory groups. And you, 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 it's very simple. You submit your name and a short CV and why you're interested. Um, so, you know, we will put that ad out. It's usually in spring each year. I think with regard to specialist interest groups or special interest groups, anybody can set up a special interest group because they're kind of independent of the society, although we provide the platform. So we we offer sign ups as a sort of interactive platform and we help support and promote the SIGs. So I think go onto our website, see which SIGs are already there. Click on, on the tile there. It will take you to a, a link of somebody within that group, probably Joe for the, the one that you set up, Joe. Um, on careers and outreach click on that link and contact the person there'll be an email address there without a doubt and say you'd like to get involved um, equally if there are quite a number of you interested in a certain area and you can't find that just as joe did well then what's stopping you trying to set up a group and putting a note out in synergy news saying well actually you know i'd really like to set up a sig on i don't know x who's interested and and getting people to to respond to you and then thinking about setting that up so they're quite informal, the communities, um, and, it, and they work in a way that meets the needs of that community. So there's no set um, 
schedule for you know when they meet etc so flexibility for communities of practice we're a little bit more um, for the advisory groups they meet um, twice a year but there's interaction between on different policy documents and consultation etc but also thinking think about standing for UK Council you know get involved in your regional work with um, the Society of Radiographers and I know Joe, you've been an observer at Council get involved you know stand for council you know really make a difference and you'll learn so many skills um uh, you know and step out of the comfort zone that everybody can do it and any member can apply and that was literally when when that all happened you know these things just (laughs) escalate don't they and snowball because someone had just mentioned when that was at the conference going oh joe you should you should write a speech and see if you can be the uk council observer and i was like oh no, I want to have a gin tonight. I don't think I'll write a speech. And then the <laughs> next day I was up on the platform and uh, yeah, I was giving a speech saying why I thought I would be beneficial to be a UK observer. And I did, I learned a huge amount. Um, and I have great respect for anyone that sits on the UK council. Um, I think, you know, I'm I'm not necessarily sure that everyone in terms of members or those that part of the professions actually truly appreciate how much work goes on behind the scenes um and it is it's i would really advocate for anyone to get involved in it because it's hugely insightful um and you can really see the impact that they then have on the profession um and it's not always visible but i think you definitely get to see it and you you get to see the impact that people are having and making and the conversations that are having and i definitely saw that there was a great network and you know everyone is hugely supportive of each other yeah and and there's a lot of training opportunity within that role as well which you probably saw yeah. both informal and and formal so you know fantastic opportunities and I, you know i guess just a a note out to anybody listening you know if you're interested and you know please feel free to sort of direct message me on twitter um however you want to to get in contact or with any member of the team um inside um, synergy news is a list of all our contact details as well emails etc so please do get in touch we, we we want to hear from you we as i say we're, we're a group of 60 staff working um for all of our members and our membership is now over thirty thousand. so you know we're huge but that's amazing isn't it to hear. yeah it's really grown really grown in the time that i've worked for the organization 24 staff when i started in in 2004 so yeah doubled but the the profession has grown and will continue to grow that's the thing both in diagnostic and therapeutic which is fantastic to see i did i did actually see working with health education england quite a lot how much they value the support um of our professional body because they certainly said that that's not necessarily the case you know not as not all professional bodies are as active um, and I think that, that, you know, that's a great testament to the work that you're all doing, really, that you are so visible and that, you know, you do have members and professional officers that are infiltrating lots of the senior strategic meetings. Um, and that's really important that we do have our voice heard through you. So I definitely benefit and I feel I benefit being a member. Mm, that's really good to hear, Joe. Thank you for that feedback. We try and get into everything we can where we think there's going to be added value for our members. I guess that's one of the balancing acts is there's so much to to go to. It's picking out the ones that will really make the difference um, is so important. Yeah, and I suppose lots of exciting stuff going on in the UK, as you've just mentioned. Um, but you also said you are the president 
uh, of the European Federation of Radiography Societies, so the EFRS. Um, so I wonder if you might just share, you know, just for the listeners, insight into the work with the EFRS. Yes, I'd, um, I'd love to. Thank you. And that's been such a privilege. Again, it's one of those opportunities that just arose. You know, I, I, there was work that needed to happen in relation to radiotherapy across Europe, and I was invited to to join or to to lead a, a, a committee within the EFRS on radiotherapy. So I I took up the challenge and thought, great, yes, I want to do this. And then an opportunity came up to be on the board, which then led to me being president for this year. So it's been fantastic. I've learned so much about collaborating um, with different colleagues across Europe, um, different professions across Europe. And it, again, it's opened so many doors. And, you know, the EFRS represents over 45 national societies now. It's a young federation. It was only established in 2008. Um, but of that, you know, there's about 105,000 radiographers. So through those national societies, and then there are 66, around about 66 education institutions that are affiliated. So, you know, our work is really to maintain a, a European perspective on the profession um, and, and to be mindful of the needs of our members, but really to represent, promote and develop the profession, both in imaging, radiotherapy and nuclear medicine across Europe. Um, and, and so we want to be a proactive organisation. We have lots of uh, memorandum of understanding with other European bodies, such as the, the physicists, EFOM with ESR, the European Society of Radiology, um, another one on informatics, USOMI. So we've developed a lot of collaborations. And so working together at the European level is important, I think, for our profession, again, to be recognised, the skills to be recognised at that broader, broader level. So... And, and importantly, you know, now engaging with patients to understand how we can better our policy and our development across Europe. So, again, you know, a real privilege to work um, with such leaders from across Europe and such diversity. So, yeah, it's a great federation, lots happening with professional standards, webinars, educational standards, supporting research. And it's a pleasure, too, to see members from the UK really involved in the work of the FRS. Um, some names you might recognise, Dr. Andrew England is on, on the executive board, Dr. Karen Knapp is chair of the research committee, uh, Dr. Christina Malamentio is vice chair of the committee, research committee. So, you know, really fantastic to see that growth as well at the European level. But again, with anything, that brings a lot of work within, a lot of opportunities, but thoroughly enjoyable. And um, yeah, again, I, it's just been a, a real privilege to be able to do that. And I think good for the United Kingdom as well, particularly at the point where we were, you know, uh, coming out of Europe. It was important, I think, for us to be able to feel part of and to show our commitment as a society of radiographers to the Federation. Yeah. Hope that helps. You. Bit of insight. <laughs> yes, it's amazing. Um, and there's so many people you can have an influence on in a way, like a positive influence, can't you say? So. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, no, I think we, we absolutely do. We just wish we got more hours in the day, all of us, don't we? I think. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so I think uh, one of the last questions is um, about what advice you'd give your younger self entering into the profession. Um, you know, you've had a long career, you've you've progressed through lots of different areas, but you know, what advice would you give yourself, but also anyone entering into the profession um, mm. today? 
Yeah, good question, Joe. I mean, and I think we've been doing a lot of work through the society about supporting the young professional. It's a really key area. You know, there are a lot of challenges in the workforce at the moment. It's hard. It's tough. You know, the, the waiting lists. You know, so we, we really need to support the profession. And I think for me, it's it's looking out for those opportunities. I think those doors are opening and, and I think social media enables quite a lot of those opportunities to arise. You know, I've seen some really influential students and young professionals talking very openly about their careers, talking about their challenges, being supported by people at the same level, being senior people, by other professional groups. So I think for me, it's about never be afraid. Don't fear stepping out of your comfort zone. Look for role models and really aspire. You know, think I can do this. I can do this. I'm a radiographer. I've got my qualification. What? Where do I want to go? There are so many options for me. You know, clinical practice, research, education, policy, things that you've done, Joe, research that you're doing, Naaman. You know, the opportunities are all there, but don't feel pressurized to, you know, I've got to commit to this and I've got to sort of go up a ladder because equally working across a profession is, is important. And we know that the vast majority of the profession will probably undertake some, you know, post-registration education and training. And we'll be really content delivering really strong, positive, hands-on patient care. So I think there are different opportunities push on those doors, talk to people, talk, you know, feel, feel that you can engage or contact anybody about your career and find that role model to, to work with and a mentor, you know, really, really important, I think. But getting involved again with the professional body, any opportunity, get in there, seize, seize the day and uh, make the most of it. Because you can always change. I think that's the other thing. In, I guess, you know, when I was training, it, it was, it was, you know, you either stayed in clinical, you went to be a leader or you went into education. You know, we didn't have the fantastic um, clinical development, those clinical careers and the development. They were there, but they weren't recognised in the way they're recognised today. So I think, you know, don't rush to do, make decisions, take your time and, and think about it. But don't be afraid that actually if you go to do A and you don't like it, you can step back into something else because those skills won't be lost. You will have skills which will build and build and build and you can use them differently. So sideways journeys are also absolutely fine. So portfolio careers, I guess that's how I'm trying to round this up. <laughs> are, are not, um, you know, are advantageous, I think, because skill, you develop so many different skill sets and looking to voluntary work as well I think is really important for, as a learning experience alongside employed um, an employed career as well yeah I hope that helps <laughs> definitely um, I think it's as you said rounding it off um, I think for me the voluntary work is something which has always been enjoyable so um, Joe and I've done quite a lot of STEM work so science technology I've forgotten the E in the Engine end. Engineering. Engineering and It's because you use acronyms every day, don't you? So. <laughs> we're terrible, um, aren't we? <laughs> but yeah, being quite fortunate to be involved in sort of outreach work and then it really blew up and then, yeah, just kind of, again, now being part of the special interest group. Those sort of things, that's, as you said, the opportunity to keep building. Mm. And it is, for me, I suppose it's quite simple. I'm just shouting about what I do every day and how much I enjoy it. Mm. And to a young person someone might like it someone might not but even if you can get them so for example i know on the society website there was the the x-rays of different things like the bicycle or oh, yeah. um i think engagement ring stuff like that 
you don't have to like radiography just to find that interesting but that's something to get someone involved and then as you said it becomes an opportunity and it can grow especially for a young person um and yeah i've really enjoyed that side and obviously working with charities like action radiotherapy and move charity as well for me um but yeah i know joe you've enjoyed the stem work quite a lot as well yeah i absolutely love it um you know it is an opportunity for me to go into a classroom and do something that is very different and i'm quite lucky because um in the role that i'm in and doing admissions i do get some time to do that um but i also it's a bit like the mcdonald's stars when you become a stem <laughs> ambassador you actively get given um almost like a reward for achieving certain hours and it gets quite addictive so in terms of my like my voluntary time um i did over a thousand hours one year um, going into schools and colleges and doing outreach and promotion work and you know some of the best times that I had was going into primary schools and it's not necessarily about going in and teaching physics or talking about radiobiology it is literally having those discussions about cancer and demystifying all of the stereotypes and making it a topic to talk about um, and I think sometimes that could be quite scary but working with teachers working with the parents working with the, the kids and the children has actually been really enjoyable for me mm. um, and I definitely do that outside of kind of the day-to-day -day work um, my son hates it when I go to his school largely because <laughs> I turn up with a skeleton in one arm and then vert in the other um, uh, and he gets highly embarrassed but um, yeah <laughs> can, I ask, yeah. can I ask you a question then both of you how how did you get involved in that stem work so um the stem actually originate there's got an amazing website so if you just google stem ambassador um it will come up and essentially you can go for formal training so they do it all through um, an organization or because of covid now virtually and you essentially then sign up as an ambassador and you can register for a newsletter and every month they will essentially send you a newsletter with opportunities for you to contribute to STEM events or vice versa, you can offer opportunities as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I get approached all the time to do really things that I wouldn't necessarily think I was qualified to do, um, but it is going and you know providing opportunities for um, children to have experience at job interviews. So it's nothing to do with the NHS, but it's about being a mentor. Um, and I'm quite passionate about that. And especially around widening participation and broadening demographics of the workforce. You know, even if they don't necessarily go into NHS, it is about making sure those opportunities are available for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th I think I was quite lucky. My, I suppose, where I worked before, they wanted to start up a work experience programme. And it's just something I was quite interested in. Mm. Um, and then I think it just it spiraled from there and then it became an abstract at uh, the annual radiotherapy conference. And then it just kept going and into a couple of awards, which was amazing. But that work, I think I haven't had as much time now moving into my new role, just mid pandemic, moving to London. It's been quite busy, et cetera. But every now a and then podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. Exactly. But um, I think exactly as you said, Joe, just being able like given the time to do it. I think I had a lot of support, especially working with like uh, with the team back where I was before. We did get a lot of time to go to careers fairs or if it was virtual, we could do maybe three or four in an afternoon once we'd, you know, done the treatment side, if you want. And then in the afternoon, there was, it was a bit light in the calcs kind of work. Mm. So I think that support from management is always nice. And it's good for the department as well, isn't it? Because mm. you're promoting yeah. uh, 
the department and what you do for a living basically absolutely so. and it's a it's an integral part isn't it of, of developing the future profession in terms of promoting it ourselves so i think for service leaders seeing that as a really valuable part of work is absolutely essential you know going forwards i know it's challenging in in the time that's available but just you know it doesn't take too much and now you can do things online you know that that offering can be really really powerful well, i think you both deserve medals for that work i wonder <laughs> how many i wonder how many um pupils or students you've attracted into the profession that would be an interesting piece of research well <laughs> you you say that charlotte yeah. <laughs> we are looking at doing some retrospective work and i know from a hei perspective we do try and track that through but it's it's so difficult i wish it was because of gdpr you can't retain the information um it's really difficult but it would make an amazing phd um i definitely think a nice retrospective study but we have i do attract a lot of science teachers so i go in to talk to the students and we end up getting uh, some of the teachers coming onto the msc pre-registration courses um oh. nationally so there you go i'm not sure that the school appreciate me going in <laughs> and stealing their staff <laughs> that, I mean that's fantastic I guess it just led me to think say one more thing if I if I could of course College of Radiologists have just launched um, the Valerie Carr award you might have seen it on the website please amazing if anybody out there is from England and Wales and is thinking of training as a therapeutic radiographer in England the fees will be paid so your university fees will be paid if you meet the criteria and in Wales, there will be um, there's a there's a grant that's available because fees are, are non-payable in in Wales so at the moment. So please go to the website. It's an amazing opportunity, and we you know we'll have quite a number each year for the next few years. So you need to apply. You need to meet criteria, and it is um, for those particularly perhaps for support workforce assistant practitioners who might want yeah. to to train. And also for those who perhaps are doing a second degree, who really want to change a bit, it reminded me, Joe, when you <laughs> find teachers who might want to change or career. But, you know, a fantastic, fantastic opportunity. The closing date, as I recall, is around about the 1st of December. So okay. get your applications in. Fantastic opportunity. Thank you, Charlotte. We'll definitely share that as part of the uh, wraparound um, information that we send out with the podcast. Lovely. Your hosts today have been me, Joe, and Naaman. A huge thank you to our guest, Charlotte. Um, we really appreciate you being our guest this evening. Um, if you are utilising this podcast for CPD purposes, consider the reflective questions posted along with the podcast and along with links to resources and literature discussed. To receive your CPD digital badge, please do complete, complete the form posted. Um, and we are really lucky that our next guest to feature will be Shireen Pavaday, where we're discussing equality, diversity and inclusion. Um, so that's all from us this evening. Take care and good night. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. Good night. Thank you.